appreciate those testimonies this morning? You know, God is working and he makes all things well. I believe Jesus is alive. And I believe that you believe that as well. And uh, I just want to take a few minutes to open the word. If you could take your Bibles into John chapter 12 this morning. John chapter 12. I want to just take a few minutes. Uh, you know, I, I know that uh, a lot of people today, they celebrate the historical fact of the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But how many of you believe that resurrection life is really about changing your reality? God wants to change your reality of just the way you see life through your lens and begin to brighten and open up your eyes. I so appreciate Brother Tim and others that were sharing this morning. God, God desires for there to be a resurrection in every aspect of our life. He doesn't want you just to hear a testimony and say, well, that was great for them. No, God wants to do something for you now. And it, in fact, can I just say this? Is that the darker things are in your life only shows how close you are to the reality of a shift that is about to take place in your life. The, dark, the darker things are only reveals how close the reality of the miracle he wants to bring about in your life. And one of the things we have to do, and, and this is some things I want to just take you into the word this morning about this, this whole idea, and I want to talk just a few minutes about the significance of resurrection power in life. And if you could take your Bibles in John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus said this, my soul is troubled. This is as Jesus was going and telling his disciples, he was heading to Jerusalem, <clears throat> and he says this, Father, should you save me from this hour as a question? And then he says this, for this purpose, I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name. And the, there was thunder and lightning and Jesus said in verse 30, the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Everyone say judgment. Very key word. Now is this judgment of this world, and the ruler of this world is cast out. He's cast out. That means he has no more dominion over your life. Now, I know that some of us may feel, well, Pastor, you know, I'm still struggling with some issues and some problems, and maybe there's addictions, and maybe there's some stress and things going on in your life. Jesus didn't prom promise to take our problems away from us. He did not promise that. In fact, he said that in the world, you're going to have problems or tribulation. But he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The key is what's inside. Everyone say inside. See, God intends for what's inside to affect the outside. He doesn't intend for the outside to affect your peace, but he intends for the inside, that resurrection life that's on the inside, to impact the reality of your circumstances on the outside. Can you say amen? I heard of a story of a young little boy who had Down syndrome. And his name was Philip. And Philip <clears throat> was in a, just a typical classroom at a school one day. And the, teachers, uh, the teacher of the class 
wanted to help young people understand the value and the importance of what Easter was all about. And so she brought about a couple dozen of these big, huge, empty plastic Easter egg canisters. And so in the classroom, she had asked all the students to put their name on the egg, on the plastic egg, and then she says, I want you to go outside into the schoolyard, and I want you to look for something that gives testimony about life. And so, as you can see, these young kindergartners, they're, they're out there looking for things, and one little boy picked up a little gardener snake, and he put that in his egg, and another kid, he, he put in a grasshopper, and another kid happened to find a bumblebee, and he put that in his little egg, and of course, girls, they went out, and they found a flower, and a dandelion, and, and some other kids, one kid found a dead beetle, I don't know what that has to do with life, but he found, dead, and he put that in his canister, and and with some other kids, they brought dirt and a rock. And so they brought that back into the classroom. And the teacher said, okay, I want you to open up your egg. And I want you to tell us what that means to you. Well, guess what? The kid that had the little snake opened the, the uh, canister. And the snake got away. And the whole class went kaboom. And the teacher said, get the... I, and so she realized what she would asked. She realized the next time you bring a canister, make sure you help them not just to go get anything. But uh, one opened up the grasshopper egg and the other one opened up the flower. And when they finally got the Phillips egg, Philip opens the canister and there was nothing in it. And so one young child said, Philip didn't do his homework right. He didn't get anything for his Easter egg. And Philip said, yes, I did. I did do the homework. I did do it. And then the teacher said, well, Philip, where, where is the life in your egg? He said this, there is nothing in the egg because the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. And the empty egg represents an empty tomb. And all of a sudden, you, you could just feel this hush over the entire, everyone was shocked. Because Philip actually, who had Down syndrome, was the one who really understood what Easter was all about. That Jesus is no longer dead, he's alive. He's not in a tomb anymore, he's alive. And so, unfortunately, this is a true story as well, a year later, Philip passed away because of bacteria, some kind of a bacterial infection that went up through his spine into his brain, he passed away. All the students of that class came and they put their Easter egg, all of them had empty canisters into his casket, and he was buried, but they never forgot that. I want you to write three things down about resurrection, because Jesus is coming to raise us from the dead. Now, we know that if you've been baptized in Jesus, Jesus, we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection but how many of you believe that Jesus wants us to realize that he's with us all the time? He wants to bring life to the lifeless. He wants to give hope to the hopeless. I know some of these things may sound like a cliche, but when Jesus said here in Mark, or John, I'm sorry, chapter 12, that the ruler of this world has been cast out, that is to help us to understand what Jesus was about to do. And I want to give you three things about resurrection. Because what Jesus was doing was 
A, number one, the first thing is contradiction. See, in our culture and in our way of life, everything has a beginning and everything has an end. But resurrection defies the laws of science. It defies the laws of rational reason and logic. Resurrection is a contradiction. It doesn't make sense because things don't just are born and die and then come back to life again. So when Jesus was speaking all throughout his ministry about uh, going to Jerusalem and suffering and, and, and then being turned over to the Sanhedrin to be scourged and to be persecuted and the, to then to be killed and to rise the third day, nobody heard him and no one believed in him. Even the th- women that went to anoint the body of Jesus is what they usually did with a dead body. They were not anticipating an empty tomb. They were going to prepare the body for death. But when they got there, guess what? They didn't find a body. It shocked them. Everyone say shock. Sometimes the truth of what God is saying brings a sense of shock because it contradicts our rationale. The second thing about resurrection is you can't raise anything from the dead until it first dies. You can't raise anything up until it's first dead. Now I have something to say to you. If you're dead and you're without hope, God can raise you up from the darkest, deepest place you are in your life. Resurrection is about raising dead things. God wants you to realize, and the last thing of this about resurrection is resurrection gives testimony to the authority and the anointing that victory and the victory that we have in Christ. Because resurrection is not just a defiance, but it's a total and complete victory over the sting of death. When Jesus rose from the dead, even the people that heard about it didn't believe it. Now, I want to just take you back, and I want to look at the life of Peter just for a few minutes. In, Luke, in John's gospel, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5. Would you t- turn with me to Luke chapter 5? Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something today in our life. How many of you believe that he wants our reality to, to be adjusted and to change? believe God wants to not just lift your faith and get you excited about a dispensational historical fact of resurrection, but Jesus wants to put vision, he wants to put the kind of life inside of you where you're not just existing with the status quo. God never intended for you to just exist. By the way, you will never just be able to exist. If you are not following Jesus, if you are not truly hearing his voice, and if his words are not making an impact in your life, I want to just say this, not to be negative, but no one can exist. You are going to gradually depart from the living God with unbelief, as Hebrews 3 says, today if you will not hear his voice, you will depart from the living God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we are moving from glory to glory. There's something about resurrection life that when I begin to walk and follow Jesus, the influence of that life begins to affect my lens. It affects my hearing. It affects the way I see a problem. It affects the way I'm walking through something. But for a person who is not 
fully, and it's not fully encountered the Lord in the way he comes to give grace and mercy and love, what will happen is you will find yourself spiritually adrift. When we become spiritually adrift, we begin to just coast along and we just have this idea that I hope everything works out okay. God does not want your life to just exist. He wants your life to exist with purpose. He wants your life to have aim. He wants your life to have value from glory to glory. That's what he expects because you are salt and light. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's salt and there's light and there's fire inside of you. There's salt, light, and fire. In Luke chapter five, we find this account where Jesus is preaching one day and he comes into to Peter and they're washing their nets and Peter, it's, a, it's so funny that in every time we find Peter fishing, you know, it's an interesting thing, that was his livelihood, but he's never catching fish. He never catches any fish in Jesus' account. In fact, what is really funny is that it takes a carpenter to teach a fisherman how to fish. Jesus uses someone completely out of his vocation to teach him. Now, I don't think that Jesus in any way was trying to humiliate him, but Jesus gets into the boat, and while he's preaching, Jesus asks Peter to launch out. Everyone say launch out. See, resurrection is about launching into the deep. In other words, even though you've exhausted your efforts, you've done everything you can, maybe you're stressed and you're burnt out and you've come to a point where you're just existing and you're hanging on, Jesus is there to give you a word, even at your worst moment, it's time to launch out. And here's the reason, he's still in your boat. He's still in your boat. And when Jesus gives them the word, the Bible says, nevertheless, at your word, I will launch out. He launches out. The Bible says they catch this boat-sinking, net-breaking miracle in their life. And Peter comes back to shore, and the Bible says that he falls at the feet of Jesus, and then he says something that you would be surprised that he would say. He says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful and I'm a wicked man. I'm a wicked man, and I do not deserve your kindness. I do not deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. And then Jesus surprises Peter, and he says this, Peter, from now on, you're going to catch men. Jesus doesn't say, well, I told you so. I told you you're such a rat of a believer. I knew you were scum. That's not what Jesus does. He says, Peter, you know what? You're going to see greater things than these. Isn't that amazing about God's grace? Usually sometimes when someone falls, we love to kick them when they're down. Jesus doesn't kick you when you're down. He raises you up. He puts a vision in your heart, says, you know what? Instead of just catching fish, I know your faith has been on the level of just catching fish, but I'm going to use you to influence people. Peter says, not me. Count me out. God can't use a wicked man like me. I'm too bad. I'm too sick. I've got too much lust in my life. I'm deprived. God can't use me. Thank God for resurrection power. That's what resurrection's all about. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to catch men. And I love what it says here in verse 10. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. In other words, stop 
limiting yourself because you're trying to do it in your own strength. Stop being afraid. Stop limiting yourself. Didn't your neighbor say, stop limiting yourself? Do you know why people limit themselves? Because they're afraid. They're afraid. Do you know what happens? I want you to listen to me. We're afraid and we limit ourselves because we're keeping track on how much we fail. We're keeping track. And guess what else we do? Even in marriage, we keep track on how my other spouse fails too. We keep track on how people fail us in the church or on the job. or We keep track. Can I just tell you that the blood of Jesus never lo- no longer keeps track of your sin? He doesn't keep track of it. In fact, he fires again your vision. And notice what Jesus said, or notice what it says. From now on, you're going to catch me in verse 11. Now when they had brought their boats to land, what does it say? They forsook all and what? Followed him. So Peter has this amazing introduction. He is surprised by the grace and the goodness of God. He acknowledges his weakness, his failure, his depravity, and yet Jesus says, Peter, I need you. Peter says, not me. I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure a lot of people would say, you know what, I've been there. I've been there where I've canceled, but you didn't have to send any prophet to tell me. I know in myself, I am not worthy to do anything for the kingdom. But that's not the way God sees you. Because he raises dead people. He raises dead vision. He raises dead marriages. He raises dead dreams. God is the expert on raising people who have canceled themselves out. Now, I want to take you, because of the sake of time, I want you to jump with me to Mark chapter 14. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry. Peter has walked. Jump with me to Mark's gospel, chapter 14. Mark's gospel, chapter 14. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 14, verse 53 and 54. And this is when Jesus is coming before Pilate. Keep in mind, Peter, as well as the other disciples, have been following Jesus for three and a half years. They were in a parade. I call it the parade. They saw Jesus was the hottest thing going in town. The disciples were so proud and so amazed to be part of this that even before the Passover, they were talking about who would be sitting on the right and on the left of Jesus when Jesus would come into his glory. They were talking about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And yet Jesus is here washing their feet. And we find that in the same text, Peter and the rest of the disciples had had their agenda. But when... Jesus was saying that I need to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be turned over and I'm going to suffer. But in verse 53, it says, they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him they were assembled, all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. But it says this, I want you to see this at at verse 54. But Peter followed him at a distance. Peter followed him at a distance. Jesus, in, or Peter in the beginning, had followed Jesus so closely. Je- Peter had seen Jesus work the miracles. Peter had seen Jesus 
on the Mount of Transfiguration, even Peter saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus transformed. Jesus, or Peter, witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. The lepers were cleansed. The dead were raised. The unclean, the demonic cast out. Peter had witnessed all these things. But over time, they had become familiar. And over time, when Jesus begins to speak about going to the cross, disappointment begins to set in. Have you ever been disappointed that God didn't come through the way you thought? And so now, your hot, your relationship that used to be on fire begins to go lukewarm, and now you begin to find yourself following Jesus from a distance. I'm no longer the close follower that I used to be. I'm, I'm following him from a distance. I, I don't read my Bible. In fact, the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And instead of me influencing the world, the world is now influencing me. Instead of me influencing my culture, the culture is influencing me. But I still love the Lord. I want to tell you right now, I believe Peter still loved Jesus. I believe that. But you know what Peter was doing? He was looking inside and he was saying, you know what? You're a failure. You're weak. And even though Peter made promises, Lord, I promise, I will go to the cross and I will even die for you. Now Peter's following from a distance. I actually believe, even today, because the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart this week, he says there's people that have been intimidated and they feel that the fire that they once had has gone out and now they're following Jesus from a distance. There's no fire in them anymore. The enemy has just kind of poured cold water over your flame, over your fire, your passion, and the resurrection power and life and faith no longer has an impact on your life. And the spirit for holiness and sanctification and following and being totally committed and sold out to Jesus just is not, is not a focus of your life. See, that's where Peter was. Can I suggest and make this statement? That when Jesus went to the cross, do you know that he brought his disciples to the cross with him? Now, they didn't hang on a tree like Jesus did, but let me tell you what pressure does. Pressure always brings out what's really inside. And what you turn to is the God you worship. What you turn to when the pressure is on. How many of you know it's easy to come? I'm just going to say it. We all put on a mask when we come to church. We know how to smile. We know how to prophesy. We can preach a sermon. We can put on the show. But it's not here, like Claire said. It's not here is where it counts. It's what happens when you're alone. So what happens when no one's looking? And we find here that Peter's following from a distance. And he follows the Lord into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants, and he, he's warming himself at the fire. I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, notice Peter gets by a fire to warm himself. Usually when we go through failure, we're following Jesus from a distance. We've got to find something to warm 
ourselves. We've got to find something to medicate ourselves. How many of you believe Jesus wants to be the only one in your life? Peter is warming himself. He's following the Lord from a distance. And it says here that when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you were with Jesus. But he denied it. said, I neither know or understand who, what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and she began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you're one of the, the disciples, for you are a Galilean, and your speech, show, your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear and says, I do not know this man of who you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Then he thought about it and he wept. Peter was going through his own personal cross. By the way, that's not the end of the story. Jump over with me to John 21. Peter wasn't just following the Lord from a distance, but here in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, it says this, verse 1. Amen. How many of you love the word of the Lord? I love the word of God. I like reading the Bible. It says, again, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Notice what it says in verse 2. And Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel called of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and the other two brothers of the disciples were together. And Peter said, I am going back to my boat. Guess where Peter's comfort zone was? His boat. Every time he got depressed, by the way, Peter wasn't very successful in his boat. But you know why he went back to the boat? I want you to listen to me. It's because it was the only thing that Peter felt comfortable in because he was in control. He was in control of his circumstances. How many of you know following Jesus at times will mean that things may not be in your control? If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to hear some things, you're going to see some things, and it, you're going to have to release control. Peter went back to the boat because it was something he can control. It's something he could master. I may not be good at it, but it's my comfort zone. Everybody has a boat. And you know what? Peter forsook all three and a half years ago. Three and a half years earlier, he forsook the boat and all of that, and he followed Jesus. But now he's going back to the boat. He's now saying, you know what? I'm a failure. I'm a flub, flub up. I can't do it right. I might as well go back to what I can control and the things that make sense to me because I, I don't know what happened. I thought Jesus was going to come down, deliver us and be a military messiah, deliver us from the Romans and save us from all of our problems. And I find myself getting more angry and I find myself just getting, you know, serving Jesus just seems to bring the worst out in me. To hell with Christianity. I've actually met people that say that. Don't raise your hands, but has anybody ever been there? I've been there. I've been there. 
But Peter was in a place where he was burned out. So he goes back to what he knows. He goes back, even though he wasn't even good at it. He goes back to where he's at. But what is so powerful here is that Jesus never gives up on him. I want everyone to say this. Jesus never gives up on you. He never gives up. And notice what happens. We find here that while they're out there fishing, Jesus asks, he throws the question, hey guys, you catching any fish? Basically what he's asking is, are you getting your needs met? Are your needs being met or do you find there's a hole in your boat? Are you taking in water? And so Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side when they did this. And finally John picked up, wait a minute. That's just not any Galilean. That's Jesus. And Peter puts his clothes on, jumps in the water. They all come to shore and they catch 153 fish. And you know the rest of the story down here where Jesus, they're having breakfast together. This is so powerful about Jesus in working with his disciples. Not once does Jesus ever remind Peter of his failure or his denial. Not once. You will find that it's interesting that Jesus works with Peter in threes. There's always three things that Jesus works with Peter in, in, in groups of threes. I don't want to get into that. But we find here that, that Peter f- fails three times. Jesus asks him three questions about, do, do you love me? We even find in Acts chapter 10 where there were three visions that God had to give to Peter concerning the house of Cornelius and going and sharing the gospel to the house of this Gentile Italian guy. God seemed to work with Peter. In other words, one, one word, two words, maybe even three or more didn't get enough. Jesus, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit had to keep coming to Peter time and time again because Peter obviously didn't get it the first time. But we find that Jesus begins to ask Peter the simple question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know. You know I love you. But by this time, Peter had come to a realization. You know what, Lord? I don't have what it takes to follow you. You don't have to disqualify me. I disqualify myself. I quit. That's where Peter was. Because he went back fishing. I want to tell you something. On Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection is about the Lord redeeming those who feel like they've gone beyond the point of no return and especially people that have quit and have given up. But God has not given up on you. He has not quit. He has not given up. It's what is interesting. Jesus didn't say, Simon, you're going to go back and learn this lesson again. No, he says, Simon, I want you to feed my sheep. I don't know about you, but guy who denied the Lord, who swore, swore, he cussed and swore and said, I don't know Jesus. And yet Jesus says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Now that just is a contradiction in and of itself right there. We would just write people off that fail. Yet Jesus in this text says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Let me tell you something. Here's a, here's a newsflash. Bible school doesn't make a preacher, teacher, or ministry, or a a servant of the Lord. That's not what makes a minister. It doesn't even qualify you to feed and help people. Let me tell you what qualifies. Is when you've gone through hell, when you've walked through the fire, 
And when you've gone through darkness, and it's in the midst of the darkness, when, when all hell has come against your life, and everything is falling apart, you may not realize it, but God is trying to prepare a table for you in the midst of your enemies. He's preparing something for you. He's actually preparing you for promotion. That goes contrary to your thinking. Well, oh, oh, okay, so pastor, are you just saying that God makes light of sin? Is it okay for us to go out and sin? No, that's not what we're saying. But Peter had come to a point where he realized that he was fragile, he was not as tough and strong or as gifted or anointed as much as he thought he was. But Peter had come to realize, I'm a weak man. I realize now that I've been following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Do you know it's possible to be a follower of Jesus just to get out of Jesus what's in it for you? But it's not about him. But even though you're following him for the wrong reasons, he still doesn't give up on you. He still believes in you because he knows that his grace can transform you. So Peter begins to get perturbed by the questions and Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Then he comes down here to verse 18. Most assuredly, I say unto you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. The word gird there is taken from a Greek word. It means to dress yourself. It means that you're going to dress and prepare your life the way you thought. When you were younger and you were following me, you had your own agenda. You had your plan, and this is what you thought was God's plan, but you come to find out it wasn't God's plan, it was your plan. And the fire had a way of revealing that it wasn't God's plan, but your plan. And now you've come to a point where you realize, I can't trust anything, I think. I can't trust anything, I think. I can't trust anything, what I think, I think. Jesus said this, when you were younger, you girded, you dressed yourself, you made your plans, you set your course, and you walked where you wanted to go. By the way, can I just give you a news flash? We've all been there. We've all been there. But then he says, but when you are old, everyone say old. Guess what? God doesn't give up on old people. Praise God. Some of you may think you're over the hill. No, he says, when you're old, you will stretch out. Everyone kind of stretch out your hand. Okay, here it goes. We're, do, we're doing a symbolic. You're going to stretch out your hand, and another will dress you. Another is going to take your hand, and he's going to gird you and carry you where you would not want to go. Okay, you can put your hands down. Praise God. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Is when I stretch out my hand and say, Lord, take me where I don't want to go. But here's the thing. He never leads you where he doesn't prepare you and where he doesn't bless you and bring you to a place where you will be truly thankful and grateful. I want to tell you, there's been times in my own life where I said, Lord, I don't want to walk through this. And he says, I know you don't, but I want you to trust me. 
because there's some things that I want to feed you, I want to teach you, I want you to go through, and it's not until you're willing to go through it. Now, you know what? You can medicate yourself. You can go back to your boat and find comfort because you're in control. Or you can say, Lord, lead my life. Take me. Amen? Now, I want you to hear, I want you to... I want you to write three things about resurrection because this is in, in the life of Peter. Three words, and I'm going to close here. Three words. Resurrection has to do with a spiritual awakening. Raising people from the dead is about you waking up. Peter woke up. How many here have ever woke up? You come out of sleep. You know what sleep is? Sleep is when you are desensitized and things are happening around you and you don't even see how everything's going to hell in a handbasket. It's because you're sleeping. You're desensitized. Even in the book of Joel, when Joel prophesied concerning the Israelites, he says, my people are like drunkards. They're so drunk, they're intoxicated with the culture that they don't, aren't even aware of what's going on around them. How many of you know our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? I want my body to be filled with God in, the Holy, in His Spirit. I don't want anything medicating my life. And by the way, I've known what it is to medicate. I've had wrestled with porn in my life. I've wrestled with prescription pills. I wrestled with Coca-Cola and food. Pastor Ray has gone the gamut. And guess what? He has set me free from all of it. And the one thing about it, not only does God heal and deliver you, but he takes the taste away. He really can set you free. And you know what? When you're on fire and when there's a passion and you're really in love, guess what? you will protect what you love. When you're not in love, you don't protect it. In fact, you don't give a darn. You don't care. Because the love is gone. We become lukewarm, we become passive, and we become careless. Without a vision, the people wander aimlessly. But God's calling the church to come back to where we're alive, we're on fire, we're separated unto him, we're walking in the power of resurrection life. We recognize that our bodies are not our own, but it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to let anything in my mind, my mouth, my my relationships to come begin to desensitize and to chill out and make me lukewarm. I've got to guard my heart. But the thing is, you will never guard anything you don't love. So the one of the things we have to have is a revelation of the love of God. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I came to you three and a half years ago, but I'm coming to you even now. You've had a revelation of yourself. You've had a revelation that you can't do it in your own strength. But I, my mind and my plans for you have not changed. Now, you, they might have changed in your mind, but they haven't changed in my mind. Somebody needs to get this this morning. Because God wants to raise you from the dead. God wants to raise us up and put a new fresh vision. Can you say amen? amen. I want you to hear something here. Because I, I, I believe that this is so important. I want you to see something here that is really quite powerful. John chapter 12, actually John chapter 20. Go back to John just in your Bible. John chapter 20. 
This is when Mary comes and she finds Jesus. Uh, John chapter 20. Mary's coming and she, she doesn't even recognize that Jesus has risen from the dead, but when she, she thinks she's talking to a gardener, but she's actually talking to Jesus. Sometimes when you're where you're at, you don't even know if I'm talking to the Lord or not. She thinks she's talking to the gardener and Jesus says, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? This is verse 15 in, in John chapter 20. And uh, she's supposing that it to be the gardener. And, and, and uh, he says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have taken and laid him and I will, I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, tur she turned and she said to him, a teacher, and Jesus said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father, I love this, and your father. To my God and your God. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. In other words, he's now reconciled the world to him. And we are now reconciled. Jump over with me to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> this is the significance and the power of the cross right here. In Hebrews chapter 10, I'm sorry, it's in Hebrews 9, not 10. It says, but Christ came as our high priest of good things to come. Good things to come. Resurrection means good things to come. And with greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered into the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes and a heifer sprinkling of the unclean sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, and this is the key, cleanse your conscience. He's cleansed your conscience. And this morning, all of us this morning should realize that the resurrection means that you have the authority and you have a place in Christ to realize your conscience can be cleansed. And all I have to do is to believe and receive and to confess him as my Lord and Savior. He cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the, the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Can you say amen? Praise God. Last scripture in Ephesians. Jump with me to Ephesians. Notice what it says. Not only does he cleanse our conscience, Peter got up at the day of Pentecost and preached a powerful word, but notice what it says, Ephesians 2, 1, you all know this, says that you he has made alive. Alive, what does that mean to be alive? That means I'm cognizant, I'm conscious of his kingdom, I'm conscious of this reconciled relationship, I'm conscious of my identity as a son, not a slave to sin, I'm not a slave to my past. I'm not held hostage to that. When I'm dead in sin, that means I no longer respond to the Holy Spirit of the Word. Dead people don't respond. But living people respond. 
Everyone say respond. When you're alive, you respond. It says that you were, he's made you alive who were dead in sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about demonic powers that influence the minds of men that draw them away from the things of God, away from the cross, away from God's fulfilled purpose in their life. It says, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, that means there was a nature. It was natural to sin. It was not a nature to sin. The Bible says we were given to that kind of life just as others. I love this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, when we were dead, made us alive. When you're dead, he makes you alive. That means that you may not necessarily feel it but he's already reconciled you to the Father. He's made you alive, but you must receive him. And it goes on here to say, he made you alive together with Christ, and by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus has raised us up. So what does resurrection do? Number one, it awakens us. It wakes us up. How many of you say, Pastor Ray, I need to be woke up. It's his love that wakes you up. The second thing it does, it not only wakes you up, but it raises you up. You're no longer a victim. You're no longer a hostage to your past. You have been translated and transformed as a new creature in Christ. Paul said we no longer, we no longer relate or consider any man according to the flesh. That means you have no right to bring up someone's past. You have no right to bring up someone's weakness. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. I have to amen myself up here. Because the Bible says, we hence therefore know no man after the flesh. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, I got a record. I keep an account. And they have failed this time, and they failed that time, and they failed this time. Guess what? Do you want to see them change? <laughs> then keep declaring what their vision and what their identity is. You keep, see, Jesus didn't come back and say, Peter, I knew you'd blow it. Didn't I, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you you'd blow it? I told you. Some of us just love to kick people when they're down. I told you. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? I want you to feed my sheep. I'm sure the disciples were having a problem with that. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Jesus, we didn't deny, we didn't curse and swear. And yet you're trying to say this guy's going to feed the kingdom and open the doors of the kingdom and preach at the day of Pentecost. By the way, from the time that he lied and denied the Lord, 50, day, 50 days, a month and a half later, this guy wins 3,000 people to Christ. This backslidden, sailor-cussing, 
Jesus-denying guy, a month and a half later, wins 3,000 people to Christ. Now, some of us would say, well, that's not enough time for healing and restoration. That's not enough time. I think the guy needs to be out for three years. He needs to sit, and he needs to grope a little while until he kind of satisfies our wrath because they have failed. Until we are satisfied, then we will use him. Man, Jesus said, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Now, some of you may say, oh, Pastor Ray, you were just making light of sin. No, I'm not. It's the grace of God. It's God's grace. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. And we do need to renew our minds. We do need to surrender our lives. But it's the grace. I, I, I want to close with this, with this one last story. I heard of a woman. She was in the middle of a Texas hailstorm. How many women out there have ever been caught in a Texas hailstorm? Well, this woman was out in the middle on a farm and golf ball to orange or lemon size hail was coming down out of the sky, just dropping out of the sky. And this woman was being bombarded by the, this hailstorm. It was, I mean, it was a, a very dangerous situation. And she fell and she stumbled. Well, there was another man that saw this woman stumble and he runs out and he literally runs on top and falls on top of this woman. And the hailstorm was about 20 to 25 minutes. And this man's body was being plummeted by the hail on his head, on his back. He was uh, uh, bruised, but especially around his face. There were lacerations on the side of his face. But he was completely covering this woman who he did not even know. And he was protecting her from this potentially dangerous hailstorm. It finally passed. They were both sopping wet. When they got up from the storm, she felt the least she could do was to invite him over for dinner. She wondered, are, are you uh, single by any chance? I'm single. And she says, yes, I'm single. Well, can I at least treat you to lunch? I'd love to have you come over. I'd love to just show my gratitude. I'd love to just treat you to lunch for being so kind to, to a total stranger. He said, I'd love to come over. Well, that developed into a, a friendship, and the friendship turned into a courtship, and guess what? They actually got married. And this woman said this, you know, she said this, I'd be sleeping with my husband, and there would be times at night where I'd wake up and I'd see my husband but still had the scars on his face. And she said, I would reach out and I would put my finger on the scars and just feel the scars that he took from me while I was being plummeted, while he was, he was taking the blows of the hail so I would live. And she says, you know, he has those scars on his face, on the side of his face to this day. But she says, those scars are so beautiful. The scars are beautiful because it reminds me of his love for me even though I was not protected. And you know, Jesus still has the scars for you that he took for all of us so you would not have to take the punishment of sin and go to hell. He went to hell for us and the Bible says in Colossians, he destroyed and made naked 
and spoiled the principalities and powers and darkness. It means to be stripped naked. Jesus destroyed the powers of hell and took the keys of death back from Satan and was raised triumphantly so we would live a powerful life. I want to tell you something. Jesus took the nails and he took the crucifixion for us. And I want to just say right now that God wants you no longer to follow him from a distance. He wants you to have a close relationship with him. Bigger than joining a church. This is not about a church coming to church. This is about you coming back to your heavenly father. Can you close your eyes for a minute? You can bow your heads. Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, like Peter, my dreams are gone. I've lost my vision. Like Peter, I had a passion, I had a fire, but I'm now following the Lord from a distance. Or maybe you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never known him in your life. I want to just say to you this morning, the anointing is really strong here. I just sense the Lord is saying, I want people to know that I've taken the scars, I've taken the pain, I've come to renew your vision today, to take something that was historical and bring that resurrection life and power and fresh start back into your spirit today. All you have to do is receive his, receive his grace. It's not about trying to fix your life. It's letting him fix your life. It's letting him transform things that you cannot do. But you've got to admit the pride. You've got to deal with the fear. Some of us may go back to our own little boat because we want control. We need to say, Lord, I need to really hear your voice today. I need you to raise me up to be the man, the woman you called me to be. If that's you this morning, I want to see your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone out there like that? I see your hand. See your hand. Anyone else? I need the Lord to just revive the fire. I know what it is to follow Jesus, and I love Jesus but I've been following him from a distance because I've been disappointed, I've been hurt, I've been wounded. There's things out of my control I couldn't control. I don't know if he's there for me or not. I'm here to tell you this morning that he has already taken the blows. He's already taken the punishment. And he rose again so you would not have to live and suffer the punishment of our wrong choices. He's come to renew you restore you, and heal you. Can we all stand to our feet this morning? Can we stand to our feet? I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but if you would like prayer, there was a number of hands that were raised. If you would like prayer to seal this, I think it'd be a great day. I felt like the Holy Spirit speak to me in the beginning. There are going to be people this morning that are going to experience the miracle of a fresh start. A fresh start. That's if they will hear with ears of faith. Remember what it says in Hebrews 2? When the promises of God to the children of Israel were given because it was not mixed with faith, did not profit them. It didn't profit. If I don't mix faith with the promise, it won't profit me. And I want to ask you this morning, if you would like the Lord to anoint and break every yoke this morning, you come down here, we're going to see some things and change broken right now. In Jesus' name. You come right now. Come right now. Amen. You feel free. Just come right now. In Jesus' name.
We serve a God who loves us and cares about us. Amen? How many of you know He wants to restore joy? He wants to restore peace. He wants to break the lie of the enemy off of our life. He does not want us to live as victims anymore. He wants us to be restored. All of us. I'm so grateful that God has restored peace in my life. I needed Jesus. Last year, man, Pastor Ray, I needed Jesus last year, big time. I'm so grateful for his love. I needed the Lord. I need God all the time. Every day I need him. Can all of us say, I want us to all pray as a congregation. Then we're going to pray for them individually. Then, then you're released to go. But I want us to pray. As a, would you follow my prayer this morning? We're going to pray a congregational prayer. Then I want to, we're going to all pray. If our prayer words can come, we're going to pray together. But follow me in this prayer. Can you do that? Follow with me. Dear Lord, I thank you for your precious blood that was shed for me. Lord, your grace is not in vain. Your grace is sufficient. For where there is no condemnation, grace does abound. And Lord, it abounds in me this morning. I renounce the lie. I renounce every lie of the enemy. I renounce the fact that I'm a victim. I am more than a conqueror because Jesus died and was buried and rose again. And I died and I've been buried and I rose with him. And I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I thank you for the future. I have a bright future. I am anointed. I am powerful. I am dangerous. I am light. I am salt because of his spirit that dwells inside of me. I renounce any lukewarmness. I renounce all excuses. And Lord, I extend my hand. I stretch my faith to let you lead me where I may not want to go because it's not my will but it's your will. I surrender all. I don't surrender some. I surrender all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.